Okay, so here me and Shelby are. Hey, checking in, and we're just going to chat a little. This is our literal first podcast episode, and I hope that you guys can hear us okay. And uh, we're going to be getting together a lot like this, but this is literally our first time actually recording ourselves talking because we know it's valuable. We just caught ourselves in the middle of a bunch of probably pretty important conversations that a lot of people could benefit from. Um, Myself being a recovering alcoholic and therefore anything else I could get my hands on went into my body as well with that. And then you, how we were just talking about like sometimes you know, coming across your drug of choice or coming across not your drug of choice and figuring out whether or not it'd be okay or safe for you to take that. Like, I believe in harm reduction. And, um, I don't know, we were just talking about finding a pill, a random pill. Like, how many times have you Googled (laughs) pillidentifier.com? As a cleaner, house cleaner, for many years, (laughs) I think that I have Googled more pills than probably anything else that I've Googled. In all honesty, it's... (laughs) But those are those times that you don't Google it and you just pop it anyways. And you're like, um... Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And it would be, you know, the best houses you'd come across. You walk in and it's got... The fridge is full of food. There's booze in the freezer. And then you find pills. I mean, those were the days cleaning, man. But not really, because then the houses took, like, three days long to clean. And usually you made more of a mess than... It was originally, so... <laughs> yeah, I could see myself just staying in those houses, fucked up, <laughs> for multiple days. Oh. You end up puking in the toilets that you're trying to clean. <laughs> it's just not... It's not good. Yeah, so, I mean, harm reduction, the idea being, though, that, like... So, I know, for me, I can't drink alcohol in any form. Like, I just... It, it doesn't work for me. But I can still smoke weed, and... You know, an Adderall here or there isn't going to do anything to me. And I know that. And it's all about self-awareness and knowing yourself. So, like, when I walk into a house and there's booze, you know, it's pretty triggering still. I'm not, like, my immediate reaction is, like, yeah, party time. And now it's, like, no, either dump it down the drain or hide it in a cupboard way far away where I don't think about it again. Yeah, I totally get that. Like, mine's the complete opposite, like... If I saw booze, it really wouldn't bother me, but me coming across a bag of cocaine in the house, which probably happens because people party in vacation homes, yeah, that would be a problem. So I'll tell you the story really quick and how I know that just like coming across anything like that would be a really big trigger for me is like about a year clean, I found a bag of sugar at the ski resort that I work at because I'm a cleaner, so I'm constantly scanning the ground of for trash. And I, I found a bag of sugar, and my immediately thought, immediate thought before I knew it was sugar was, ooh, score. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I just found a bag of white powder. No matter what it is, yeah. it's going to get me high, right? So yeah. obviously it was sugar, but at the same time, like, I would have relapsed if it wasn't. And, and even a year clean, having a job, having a place to live, things going good for you, it just goes to show what a slippery slope it can be. Oh, yeah. And it's usually at those marks right it's at that like one year clean one and a half year two you know you're starting to like get comfortable and like kind of cocky in it and I've caught myself a few times even lately just like ooh, there's a bottle of vodka 
And I'm like, what? Where did that come from? Like, you really have to be able to check your thoughts still. Because even while we do, you know, get away from these things, it still comes up like it was yesterday sometimes. Yeah, I totally agree. If you really get off that pink cloud in, like, the the recovery pink cloud. Have you ever heard of that? Mm, explain it a little bit. So, Ed, for those of you that don't know what a pink cloud in recovery is, it's that it's that time where you feel, like, at most amazing. And you feel, like, untouchable and invincible and on top of the world. Like, nothing can touch you. Like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The pink cloud of recovery. I, I mean, that's the phase where, like, everyone reaches right when you get off of something for, like, the first few weeks, right? And you're like, oh, I've made it. I feel great. This I'm is, good. This is fine. I totally have everything under control. Yeah. Yeah. Know the pink cloud. And that sometimes lasts for, like, six months to a year. Yeah. You know? I feel like sometimes I'm still on that pink cloud. Yeah. I feel that, too. You know? Just so grateful for every single day. Dude, two and a half years without a drink and... It's still like a daily like woo yes woo and you just hit four years clean from meth and heroin right that's huge I mean yes ma'am the two of us just the needle in general yeah being clean from the needle is just a huge girl and then you look around though and you have stories like us you've either gotten better. Or you look around and they're dead, you know, or in jail or doing the same thing still. And so we got to reach that point of breaking out of that, you know, because how many times have you sat and tried to quit drinking and made it a few weeks or gotten clean, gotten off your drug of choice and made it a few weeks or maybe you, you know, quit shopping Maybe you, you know, got your bulimia under control. There's all different kind of ways that addiction manifests itself. And it's not just pointing at the person who has a needle in their arm or, you know, taking shooters in the bathroom. Like, it's not just that person. So there's all different things that we struggle from, and it's all about learning to cope with those triggers. Absolutely. Triggers can be different from ever, for everybody, too. Like, just like we're talking about, a trigger for me doesn't look like the same as a trigger for you. And, like, it's nobody's, it's nobody's responsibility to cater to our triggers. <clears throat> a lot of people feel that way, I think. Yeah. That, like, people need to step around what makes them feel uncomfortable. And that's not the case. Like, the world is going to present so many triggers. I just got the chills. <laughs> So like, many. so <laughs> many triggers. Like, so many things Every, are going to come flying at your face. Like, you get high, drink, blah, 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 you know? Just, like, in your ears. Does it not yeah. stop? And until you learn to figure out that those are just that, that they're just triggers, and you can make it through that terrible feeling, um, we just keep responding in the same way. Yeah, and I think, like, I don't know. Cigarette triggers were worse than any other triggers for me because people constantly light up. But, um, and that's just like, for some reason, cigarettes, tobacco, nicotine was the hardest thing for me, even worse than quitting the needle, I feel like. Well, and I think those kind of addictions, you throw nicotine in there, um, 
it's easy to justify because you can't see the immediate damaging effects. You know, they're not felt as immediately and consequently as, you know, not having your fix. And so it's all about that consequence. Exactly. And I just Googled it right now. A craving only lasts three to five minutes. Yeah. So if you can get over <laughs> that, dude. So if you can do some breath work. Yes. Um, during that three to five minutes of a craving to just get over that little hump and you'll, you can stop. You can literally train your mind to not think about that. Yep. After three to five minutes. And you think about it. So the first time I was presented with that scenario or that metaphor, it was the first time I was in rehab in Colorado Springs. And it was for a dual diagnosis center. So I went to a place that half of the people in there were veterans. They were Marines. And then half of the people in there were drug addicts and, and alcoholics. And the thing that we all shared in common was that mental health was the underlying issue or looking back now at how they're diagnosing this is trauma is the base <clears throat> or at the center of all these issues. And so this is where they first introduced the idea of mindfulness and they didn't present it as meditation because that's frowned upon in this day and age or this society western age size whatever whatever I'm trying to say here um so they present it as mindfulness and it's all about centering yourself in the here and now and understanding that everything is temporary and so if you can focus in on your breath if you can just follow that breath for three to five minutes in a box breath so four seconds in hold for four seconds four seconds out Hold for four seconds and so you just go in a circle like that around and around for three to five minutes and it's the fastest way to turn off that autonomic nervous system response of the fight or flight and so you automatically bring your heart rate down your blood pressure down everything calms down and that's how you shut off the, that fight or flight feeling so not only are you getting through that initial craving that three to five craving you get into the 30 to 45 minutes is what it takes to turn off that fight or flight response. But if you can get through a three to five minute breath exercise, you can learn to turn off that 40 minute agitation, agitated, dysregulated state in about five minutes. And so just through your breath alone, you can rewire your brain. I literally just did that as she was talking and I feel like a different person. I'm not even scared to record this podcast anymore. Yeah, <laughs> a little nervous, but yeah. So we just want to like introduce ourselves a little bit because this is our first first episode, and we hope we become like as big as Dopey because those <laughs> those are my heroes, and I hope to hear this one day. But I am Stephanie, and, and I am Shelby, and we are with Tame in Fraser, Colorado, and we're just hoping to kind of break down the stigma around addiction and. The way that we're moving now in the United States is the direction we need to be moving. And we just want to be on the forefront of that. And really, all that means is creating self-awareness and mindfulness within yourself um, so that when we heal ourselves, we in turn heal everything around us. So we just want to present opportunities to share, break down walls, and interact in a natural way, reconnect, and come out of isolation, come out of this pandemic, and really start on a strong foot, because it's hard as hell to do this alone, and together we can.
And I really want to point out that like we want to, we've been through so much. Together we have how many years clean? Eight and a half. Eight and a half years clean. And I have 16 years of addiction. I have 15, 16 years, somewhere that around drinking. So, so that's about our whole life. Yeah. Together. More than half of our life. <laughs> More than our half of our life and over 30 years of addiction between it, the two of us. And and man, have we been around the block as yeah. far as... Um, as far as those those things go, but I really just want to break the stigma that that um, people can't change because we definitely can. Like if you ever, you know, hear a recovering addict's full story, you can you can hear the change in. Oh my gosh, it's just, you can hear the change <laughs> in in their story and what they have to say and and how far they've come and all the obstacles that they've faced and. Let me tell you, we've definitely been through the ringer, so we want to sh- really share with people what has helped us. And I know yoga has helped me. Mm-hmm. Talking to people has helped me. Travel has helped me. Um, working on myself internally has helped me. Doing the shadow work and really diving deep into what caused my addiction in the first place has really helped me. Without a therapist, I never... I never went to therapy. I never went to rehab. And I made it. So I just feel like there's other ways to do that without that. And, of course, that helps a lot of people. More power to you if you want to pay, you know, $20,000 to go for 30 days. That's And that's got you clean. That's amazing, you know. If the 12-step program has got you clean, if NA helps you, that's amazing. But um, I, we really just want to, like, offer a different approach on those kind of things. Yeah. Very non-judgmental. Like she said, we've been th- we've been there, done that. We've tried to outrun addiction. We've tried to beat it. <clears throat> I know myself personally, I've tried to kill myself. Um so there's really, you know, I've tried every route and the only one that's ever meant anything and brought me peace and hope has been recovery and it's been choosing every day to not pick up the bottle again. And even on the hardest days, you know, it's still better than, like, kind of the best days I used to have as a drunk, you know. You have that thing. <clears throat> what, what is it? The, the Even, like, the worst the days. The worst day sober is still, wait, wait. The best day, <laughs> the best, the worst day sober is still better than the worst day clean. No, wait. Something like that. It's a, <laughs> or yeah, the worst yeah. day high or something like that. It's like yeah, the how, worst day, something like that. I'll, I'll look so it So our worst day clean is still better than our best day high. There we go. Yeah. Something there like that. There we go. You <laughs> so, have less holes in your brain than I do, apparently. <laughs> It'll grow back. So it's showing that we do grow back, our brains. So. Statistics. There we go. Wait. It's, it's amazing. It half your life? You're, is that they say half of your life? Wait. The time that so, you spent high, half of it, it takes to recover. Yeah, so if yeah, if you use for 15 years, it's going to be at least seven and a half years until you start your brain is going to be kind of back to fully functioning. Um, but yeah, it does get better. And the more we can train our brain through mindfulness, through yoga, through um, just sitting in meditation, um, the more we can do that, the faster your recovery time and the faster you just you find that peace in yourself. And when you learn that you can create your own kind of peace, um, you really learn that you have control of your world and your circumstances. And yeah. What do you think 
has helped you the most? Man, I mean, there's a combination. It wasn't one thing. It was the rock bottoms that I hit, I had to go through, um, sitting in jail, (laughs) checking in and out of jail every day for two months in Grand County. That's a pretty hard reality check. (laughs) But then the things that, like, help stay clean, you know, it's just the reinforcement of people you see every day um, who encourage you. It's the people who you see who are still struggling and just remembering that you don't want to be there again. Um, It's support groups. I had to go to a lot of mandated support groups, and that actually helped me. Um, At the end of the day, when I finally started, like, leaning into those and seeing that everyone around me was dealing with the same thing, um, just in a different kind of, like, with a different mask on. But, like, we're all dealing with the same stuff, and I think really just understanding that I wasn't alone in that is when I really started to, like, know that I could be okay again. Yeah. Totally get that. Knowing that you're not alone is a big thing. Knowing that somebody has been through what, similar to what you've been through, if not worse, and has gotten through it, and is thriving, that's a big deal for me. That helped me a lot. That's hope, man. Yeah. Meeting somebody that was way worse than I ever was. And they're like, everything I wish I would be. (laughs) So I talk about that a lot, like way worse than I was or way worse than I am because that was my marker forever. Like, well, I'm not that bad because I'm not as bad as her. You know, (laughs) I was the same way. Oh, I still have teeth. Yeah, I'm I'm not that bad. But I still have my job. Like, no, yeah. Yeah, the amount of just like bartering that you do with yourself. But now... At least I don't don't have kids taken away yeah at least at least I at least I have a place to live yeah at least but now I look back and I like talk to friends and I'm like was I the was I that person and they're like oh I remember time specifically someone looking at me and being like well at least I'm not her (laughs) no I was not and they're like yes you were for months and I'm like that's you know it's those moments it's those like aha I don't want to be that person yeah I remember that aha moment kind of came for me one time when I was walking into Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning with 4-inch heels, and I accidentally walked into Walmart smoking a cigarette. I was so high out of my mind that I walked in smoking a fucking cigarette. So I looked at the cigarette, and I just put it on the ground, and I stepped on it, and I just kept going. And I, like, bought my things and wondering why people were staring at me. You know, like... Are you on the People of Walmart site? Probably. <laughs> I think. Seriously. You remember that famous video of, like, the chick cracked out at Walmart? Like, that was yeah. me at times, probably. I just don't uh, remember. Yeah. You know, like, I have very... those. You know how, like, memories, like, are just so... You only remember patches oh, man. of getting high. Like, so many years are just patches of, me- of oh. thoughts and memories and, and they the way fears. they come back now is so bizarre too yeah. when it hits you and I'll forget about whole like whole months and then like eight years later I'll be like oh shit I did that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that happens and and now the worst is when you like you recollect with people and they're like oh no that didn't happen that way you were like <laughs> you're like oh man <laughs> 
<laughs> or I was like, the, I was adamant. I was like, I have not. So my first dog, Oli, I lost twice in two days. Once in at CSU at Fort Collins, I brought her to a house party. She was this little, like, 14-pound white dog. And she'd ride on my longboard to the house parties. And I Aww. lost her. <laughs> and I lost her at a house party one night. So the next morning, I'm, like, devastated, crying in bed. Never going to find my dog again. And so we're out there the next day, like, looking for her, knocking on all the neighbors' doors. And there she is in someone's window, just <laughs> sitting there. And so I grab my dog. Thank you, Bella. Yeah. <laughs> grab her, go to see you that night to a football game, and I leave her in a buddy's backyard, and she gets taken out of the backyard. So I lost my dog twice in two days, and so I'm driving around Boulder for two days, can't find her. End up finding her on the way out of town. Some bitch is walking down the street with a brand new collar and leash, and I'm like, that's my dog! It's named a different name yeah. already. I was like, that's my dog! And she was like, no, 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 no. So she ends up, like, giving me my dog and, like, whatever. And, yeah, so anyways, I was adamant that I haven't lost my new dog, Tessa. So I was, like, telling my parents, like, I have never lost this dog. I was never that messed up. Da-da-da. I wasn't that drunk this this round. And my girlfriend was sitting right there. She's like, you called me one night for, like, two hours. I was on the phone with you while you were walking around the streets of Key West looking for your dog, like, screaming her name. I'm like, awesome. So that happened. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't remember any of this Completely blacked out that whole situation. Yeah, like, no idea. Just the, the best part, though, not the best part. Yeah. The best part <laughs> is just, like, telling yourself, I'm never going to drink again. Oh, or I'm never going to use again. I'm the, never going to do that again. Like, and, and actually, it took me, with meth, it took me 14 years to say that. That's a good I'm not even change. Like, <laughs> it took that long of a stretch to be like, I want to quit. Like, I'm done. Yeah. But then that one that I couldn't quit. But I had, I kind of like looking back, I was like, I thought I was literally having the time of my fucking life. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I had it made. I never had to pay for dope. Like, I had, I was having a great time. Little did I know, yeah. I was killing my body. I was destroying my self-esteem. Yeah. I was completely depleting all of my dopamine and my serotonin in my brain. Yeah. I was rotting my teeth out. I was, you know what I mean? Just a Burning shell. all of my bridges. Yeah. Because nobody wanted to be around me. You just don't notice those things as it's happening and as you're having fun and your life's not falling apart yet. Well, because you still see all the good times. Everyone around you is, like, there for the good time, and then they walk away and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then you never, they never give you that feedback. Like, that's the biggest disservice we can do for all of our friends and our addicts is that we turn a blind eye to be kind. And not tell them what's up. I don't know. It's hard, right? Like that's it a is hard. It's but hard I'm because a would, pretty blunt person. But would we, you know, like how would you receive that? How would you receive it? I kind of wish somebody would have done that to me for a long time because nobody did. Nobody had the balls. Yeah, even no one my had even like the closest people to me besides my dad. My dad Robert. He was the one who's like, Miha, you gotta go. Like yeah. you gotta get out of here. And I turned him down. He's yeah. like, come move to the mountains with me. I'll get you clean. I was like, I ain't ready. Yeah. I'm good. He was the only person that was like, let's go. You're yeah. done. And that was my dad. He's like, get your ass. You're moving into my basement, and you're working for me until you get better. And I was like, sir, yes, sir. Did it work? <laughs> it worked. For good? For good. I mean, that was the last time that I... Hell yeah. That was it. It was That's in, what's up. Change my go environment. Dad. Yeah, go dads. <laughs> go dads. Papa Bear was like... Pop, that's what you call your dad, <laughs> <Yeah>. too? <laughs> that's what I call my dad. Oh my. Okay, so 
my real dad. I have two dads, just yeah. to clarify. Okay. But they're both my dads. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so cute. <laughs> that's what I call her. Yeah, oh, that's cute. Yeah, no, he was like the one who actually brought me to his house and was like, "You've you're you're, stay here." Yeah. And he didn't let me. He didn't let me leave. But then I did. I ended up relapsing, and it's a horrible, horrible way that I that I relapsed. And it's just now looking back at it, I'm just like, gosh, I had it. But you just have to live and learn. You got to do it, and you got to go through it, and that's it. You got to learn. You know. You can't just keep going through it. You have to learn each time. And that's what, you know, we have to start being graceful with ourselves because we don't have to start at ground zero every time we fall back. You know, like, yeah, we have to re like sober up and re go through the withdrawals, but like we have more tools this time to stay sober. We have more things that we learn from as long as we lean into that and don't just relapse and be like, well, <laughs> oh well. I'm done. I give up. Yeah. Now. Like, it's, cr- it's funny that you say that like you don't start back from ground zero because you you have all that experience and you have the taste of what it was like to be sober and like that kind of meant a lot for me because I was sober for three months before I relapsed for another year and a half and I actually had found out I had congestive heart failure and I kept using like well and I relapsed and I still use for a year and a half and I shot meth for a, a year and a half with congestive heart failure Dude. Because, like, I Russian had it in roulette. my mind that I was just, like, I was expired. I had Googled that people with congestive heart failure that was untreated, they only have about five years. So I was like, meh, it's fine. I'm going to die anyways. Let's Ugh. party to the, let's go to the wheels fall off. I literally had that mindset. So, like, it would just be, I'd just be as high as I possibly could for days on end. And it just wouldn't stop. You know, and if you, if you have that mindset it's over but if you get the taste of sobriety or if you get the taste of recovery and how you can actually wake up every day without needing something that's huge I think it took me six days without anything in my body that I woke up and I was like oh this is what it's like yeah I haven't felt this in my whole life as long as I can remember yeah that's freedom and that's what finally I found freedom meant to me was not having to wake up immediately needing to put something in my body or feeling like absolute shit until you did. Yep. And, and for for uh, alcohol is a little bit more expensive than something that I used to use because like I'd need a minimum of twenty dollars to to get out of bed. Yeah. You know, and being as tolerant that I was, I would easily do a hundred dollars a day. So like it's just crazy how how do you I don't even make a hundred dollars a day now how do you hustle a hundred dollars a day tell me I want to know tell me your most crazy hustle story oh girl first episode huh yeah let's do it we're gonna have questions all throughout our episode I don't even know I not, was, not the craziest but like the one that sticks out of your to your mind right now right this second like I don't something. know I was never really that much of a hustler I mean I just worked my ass off too much like I bartended too much I just like would turn around and spend money right away I wasn't much of one to like turn and burn I have stolen some money from friends um but I wasn't I was always really well off, so my ex, who I was with forever, he grew weed for a living, so we just, I just always had money, like, it wasn't a big deal. You know, it's crazy that, because we're girls, yeah, and you're an attractive <laughs> woman, so, like, we just kind of get it like that, we don't really have to, you know, like, no. we don't really have to get nitty and gritty to get what we want, and yeah. it was always like that for me, too, 
But at the same time, I just look back and I'm just like, dang, how did I even spend that much money? I tell on you, drugs? the like, one that sticks out the worst in my mind actually was, <laughs> I, I mean, I experienced it because I was with this girl for a few days and she was just the worst coke addict I'd ever seen at that point. And like, I was doing glow, mind you, all the time too. And I eventually ended up getting like kidnapped because of this and like handcuffed to a toilet for multiple days on end because of this but you're like, gonna have to tell us that story yeah it'll in a tell it'll be another time for that <laughs> but this girl i was with was just like going around like sucking dick for cocaine like broad daylight like going like putting people in behind <laughs> and i was just like oh my god i mean it's key west and she'd be like i didn't do that and she's like fucking hands shaky and then like she went to a wedding one night that these people had invited me to after work, and she ended up stealing, like, all of their cameras, like, their, like, everything. And I didn't know about it, and I didn't put two and two together till days later that it was her that stole it. Obviously, it's her who stole it, you know, and, like, ugh, I felt so terrible. Like, these people's wedding was ruined. Like, she stole photos. Like, that's horrible like where's feeling so ever? that wasn't a hustle story that was a gank story that, <laughs> that was a fucking straight she, they got took they got they took. got got yeah yeah so like that was like shit watching <laughs> that i was like i never want to be a part of that like oh that's too God. much for me and i guess that's where some of my lines got drawn was like okay we went too far down this avenue like you saw a little too much Let's back, back I feel up. like it was always me pimping other people out to do dirty work for me. You know what I mean? Like, and I and I was like the ringleader of it all, but like I never really got my hands dirty. Only when I really needed to. But it's just, it's just. Crazy. I just made such good money bartending. It never mattered. But I was that was my drug. You know, I would also be extremely blacked out every shift. Yeah, and I'd come home with hundreds of dollars fucked up yeah, if it was your if it was my job to like deal like my choice of, well it was it was for a very yeah. long time like really if i want to be honest i didn't have a job for 12 years and i stayed high for 12 years like what do you think i was doing yeah like so yeah we you're just an alcohol slinger yeah it's just we illegal. just slung our drug of choice for the whole time we were addicts yeah. and there was one point what in time, a way to be yeah there was one point in time where i even was a sober bartender after i got out of rehab I was sober for a year and a half, and I bartended. <clears throat> and it was, like, a really kind of bad spot to be. <laughs> like, How did you do that? I took it because I was in school full-time, too, so that was, like, my one saving grace that I knew I had to go home and do homework every night. But also just serving people that drunk. I just it was, like, watching people get that drunk was, like, oh. But what happened is that the person I was with, you know, he slowly saw that, like, he wanted to have drinks all the time, and so I didn't want to be that awkward girlfriend that couldn't have drinks with him, and so I slowly started having, like, one beer here and there, and da-da-da, and the next thing you know, it's 7 a.m., and I'm chugging vodka again. Like, it happens, like, so quick after a year and a half of, like, not even a thought, you know? not I wouldn't touch it, like... Dude. And it's so crazy how it, alcohol is for you, that meth is for me. Completely. Yeah. Because, like, I can't just snort a line. Like, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't even just, like, watch somebody snort a line of meth. 
I would literally be in the bathroom shooting up by the end of the day. See, and I could snort a line of meth and walk away. I like he really yeah. I've done that for there was a two you period. Say of, that no, there was a period of time where I was doing construction with this dude, and we were doing like lines of meth before work every day, and it was just like I used to smoke a bunch of meth with two construction dudes every morning at five a.m. <laughs> They would come over to my house at the Dope Trap House in Arizona, and they'd knock on my window at 5 o'clock in the morning yeah. every day and be like, got a 40? Yeah. Got a 40? We'll smoke it with you. Yeah. And they're just like, we're about to build the world. That's what he'd say. <laughs> we're about to build the world. And he'd like twist the meth. He yeah. was so cool. Big-ass burly dude. Yeah. He's I mean, the coolest fuck. Yeah, so like I did meth and walked away. It didn't matter to me. Like, it wasn't my thing. And that's the th- you know, I drank crazy, alcohol and you know? walked away. Yeah, and that's our, like, we don't have to be completely abstinent from everything. Like, But I, some people do. Yeah, some people do. Some people do. And I'm not do. saying that I go do meth every day just because oh, I know I can walk away. I don't. I haven't done that in years. Um, But, like, after I quit drinking, it was like the rest of that stuff didn't matter anymore. And I naturally didn't want to do it. Um, you know, so I think it's all about like you take away the main harm, the main harmful thing in your life and you learn how to deal with life in a different way. And it just kind of everything else kind of works itself out. I totally get it. I do believe that some people need to completely take away everything in their life because if some people, if they even just drink one beer, they'd be shooting heroin by the end of the day. Yeah. That's just how they are. Yeah, you know, and those people need to be abstinent from from absolutely everything. And I'm never gonna push my beliefs on anybody else. I'm just gonna share what worked for me. Yeah, yep. And that's all we can do is share information. And um, coming from the master's program that I was studying in, um, what you descri- what you're describing on the side of addiction. So they're now describing addiction on a spectrum. So it's no longer just like. You are or you aren't, you know. You can be at different phases, and you can come in and out of these different phases of addiction. Um, and so the people who cannot not use it all is that they have to deal with the underlying mechanisms before, I mean, they should never go back to those things, right? But once they've quit and gotten off of them, they have a lot of work to do internally. It's like they can't just walk away and that's it, you know. I quit um, using, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> not how it works. And so... Um, what they're showing now is what we're trying to do with TAME is that um, the most beneficial and the highest provenly, like, best ways to heal and get through addiction is by going into nature. It's by going on walks. But it's intentionally going on these walks and stuff and not just going into nature and, like, <clears throat> you know, you have to be appreciative of it. It's being mindful. It's being present in what in your activity. And so... That was snowboarding for you, right? It was. That was my channel. Yeah. And going on walks. Just being outside. Because I never really experienced that living in Arizona. And, like, obviously, you can experience that in any state. You just have to find your spot that makes you happy. Yep. And it's and it's all about, <clears throat> you know, finding that spot. And it's about doing it sober, you know. Because I know that growing up in Grand County... Our main thing was, yeah, we went outside every day. Everything we did, we were outside. We were snowboarding. We were, you know, snowmobiling. We had friends with ranches. So we were always outside doing all these great things. But how are all of us so depressed? It's because we were drinking on top of every activity. It's because we were, like, going home and isolating after that and not taking care of ourselves. And, like, you see it now with our generation, especially just because I guess we're in it right now. But 
I'm losing friends left and right and it's breaking my heart and I lost the first love of my life to heroin and I just I can't keep watching it and you know there's so many just small easy free things that we can do for ourselves, and we just want to do that with you <laughs> and I've lost five close friends within the last three and a half years to suicide drugs an infection in the heart because of drugs sometimes people don't realize that like okay I'm not overdosing because I know how much to do mm-hmm. or you know like I have the portion control on on point I'm good I know how much would kill me and I know how much wouldn't okay but are you using a clean needle every time are you you know what I mean yeah are you no, no do, are you a plebotomist do you know even what a vein is and what an artery is do you even you know yeah. like people don't realize what they're doing when you're high you're not doing things in a safe manner and like I get that har- like harm reduction that goes back to harm reduction if my friend would have just had access to clean needles she would be alive right now but is that the answer absolutely not the answer is not to put a substance in your body every day but how do we get to that point in the meantime access to clean needles would be would have been great but at the same time people just don't realize that like just because they think that they have it in control they don't realize they have are doing so much damage to all of their organs and that's just it like we don't see the insides of us and we see it on the outside a little bit you know like we definitely show signs of it as much as we want to ignore it you know it's in the fatigue it's in it's in everything and you really don't know how shitty you feel until you start feeling better and that's part of it too is you know you just have to go after feeling as good you know you just have to chase that good feeling as much as you chase getting high and then all of a sudden the tables turn and you start feeling better more often than you feel worse and you're living more intentionally and you're choosing to do what you want with your time and it's no longer nursing hangovers it's no longer you know searching for the next time that you can sneak out and like get high it's no longer doing all these little routines and all these times that you just waste and and looking back at being drunk the biggest regret I have out of every stupid thing I did and everything I did it's how much time I wasted out of this little life that we have and I think my biggest reason that I drank that I gave was that I lost my brother at a young age and fuck it he's dead so I'm gonna do what I want and now after being sober and doing the hard work and looking at myself I realized that was the worst way to live in his name and to live for myself because now I've wasted half of my life being wasted but also I see it now as like my biggest lesson and my greatest tool um, in my recovery and then the greatest gift that I have to give back is just this knowledge that we can get through the most horrific things. Absolutely. We can. He would have never wanted to see you drunk, stumbling, puking. He wants to see you helping other people. You know, I feel like death is one of the biggest triggers. Oh, yeah. I almost, like, I almost planned a relapse two and a half years clean when my friend, my best childhood friend, 
he committed suicide and um I I had to go home for his funeral <clears throat> and like I planned a relapse I was like that's it I'm gonna get high so when I found out obviously you've experienced that big kind of grief before you literally drop to your knees you can't breathe you're so physically ill that you lost somebody that close to you that you you can't even cope drive There's like nothing sleep nothing you know <clears throat> and uh, nothing touches that at all I literally planned a relapse and if it wasn't for my friend Sam she went with me to the funeral I would have relapsed for sure just goes to show we need other people in our lives we need human connection and support and and we have love. a whole community ready to do that you know and we're just gonna start sharing like this just having conversations and inviting people to have conversations with us and we'll just lessen the stigma like some of the stuff we talked about it's hard to share but it's also like so good to get out and you know yeah, we could be doing this in person with a big group. Yeah. We would love to have talks <laughs> like this in person with a big group. But instead, we're recording it for everybody out there that isn't in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to continue to bring you stuff. And if you have questions, ask us. We're more than happy to answer anything. <clears throat> because the reason we share is because we both found huge healing and hope in hearing someone else's story or someone else's path at some point and it's in sharing and understanding our own craziness that we're not that crazy it's all human we're all human and we're going through the same things and it makes it a lot easier to do it together it absolutely does. Just to have that support system behind you and like knowing that you can you can call or text somebody that's also been through the similar situations that you've been through or the similar triggers or you know even relapses, thoughts, relationship issues. Like there's so many things that makes a person want to use. Oh yeah. The <laughs> things that make me want to use are nowhere near compared to the things that make other people want to use. Yeah. As long as we could just like learn from all those instances and how we got over them, and we talk about them with others, the more helpful they can become. Because they catch you off guard. I mean, man, I got the I got triggered. My worst trigger was <laughs> going back to an airport sober for the first time. Like really? And I used to love chugging beers in an airport. Like same. The anxiety that I get of people and everyone just like bumping into each other with bags and like doing their own little thing, I cannot handle. It like freaks me out. So the first time in the sober in an airport, I was like, oh no. You want beer. Oh, you so want that. Go drink. But then it's like the $12 airport bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've been there. We I get... bought a $17 airport beer oh, before. Yeah, I was like, shot, what? It's like $32. No, it's like as much as your flight. Yeah, and you're like, wait a minute. I won't check my bag for $50, oh but I'll drink God. for $200 here before I leave. <laughs> like the and of, when I land. And when I land. Mm -hmm. and, but I don't know why I'm so in debt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gosh, like there was a there was a challenge. Like there was one time like, I literally did my, my bank statement to see how That's much so I spent. And it was like a thousand something dollars. Like, it's quick. scary. Yeah. yeah. It's bad. And then so. you're like, wait, how, how come I didn't go get that massage or yeah. go get my hair done when I wanted to? Or 
the little things of self-care that I feel like are important. Oh, yeah. What is, like, one thing of self-care that you invest in and you don't even care how much it costs? Oh, dude. That's, like, not even a question anymore. Like, I will throw down on some self-care money. Like, don't care. That's, like, a... That's a treat yourself thing. Straight up. I, because of the rationale I have behind it. So when I had to quit drinking, I was so broke. So I went on the cash diet. So if I didn't have it in cash, I couldn't buy it. And so that got real, real. I've never done that. It's the best way to quit spending money. I never have cash. Yeah, it's impossible. So I pull out, you would get, I would get my paychecks or whatever. I'd pull it out all in cash and I'd put it in different envelopes and then whatever you have you and so every time I wanted to drink, I would have to put money into this envelope that was a drinking envelope. And so all of a sudden, at the end of the month, the first month I did it, I had like $700 in this envelope. And I was like, what? And I went and I got my hair done. I went and I got my nail. Like, it was, you know, and all of a sudden, that it was just a shift in mindset. I was like, it wasn't that I didn't have the money. It's that I just was throwing it away. Because $20 on a massage or $20... For a facial is ridiculous, but twenty dollars on a bottle of wine, I can $20 do twenty dollar facial. Where are you getting this twenty dollar facial? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like it's like sixty to eighty for sure. I mean, I obviously did that facial to myself, but okay. I'm still cheap there. But no, the acup like the um, acupuncture stuff, massages, all of that. I will go and drop like two, three hundred dollars on that. Yeah, but. I still have never done acupuncture. Oh. But I will drop $90 on nails and toes, $150 on getting highlights and haircuts from my girl Madison. Yeah. Like, it, that's a real thing, yeah. And the way you feel about yourself, I mean, you just are like... Massage. Yeah. It's it's all about how you invest in yourself. It all adds up. And I was thinking about it the other day, because you're either always, like, putting stuff to a good or a bad thing in your life. And good and bad is all relative. So, like, I don't even want to say that as all-defining. It's just, like, this is either better for you or worse for you. Mm -hmm. And so the more you start adding up in the better for you, even if you do a few bad things here and there, you know, it's not always just, like, you have to start over. And that's the mindset that I always got into was, like, oh, no, I had, like, a few beers. I might as well say fuck it. And then I was, like, binge drunk for, like, a month. You know, instead it was like, oh no, you had a few shots. Let's take that back and let's just get back on track here. So instead of just like derailing completely and shaming yourself, it's like, well, (laughs) that was okay. But like people are too hard on themselves like that. Yeah. You're not the only one that's like that. That's what society teaches us to do. We're either like good or bad. When I, um, when I first got clean I just, like, told myself, you know, like, I can't, I just acted broke because I had been broke for such a long time, <laughs> and, and, like, I never bought anything because I had just spent every single dime that I had on drugs, and, like, so when you start actually <clears throat> investing in yourself, oh my God. it's, like, so amazing. You're like, wow. I have I, stuff. I can't. <laughs> Yeah, like, I can't believe I just... It's almost like you're undeserving of it. Like, handing $20 over for a manicure, you're just like, oh, shit, that's way too much money. He was like, I put that into my veins in four hours. You wouldn't even think about it. Yeah, like, it's... You wouldn't even think about it. But, like, now, so you can't even feel guilty about that. You just need to, like, tell yourself that you're worth it. Yeah. You're worth that money. And now, when I do things, I'm just kind of... I don't even... 
Yeah. It's an investment. There it's totally some, worth it. Oh, yeah. There's some days where I've walked away and I'm like, this soap thing that I just got into. And I was like, I just thought, how much money, how much money did I spend on this? But I'm like, no, I'm not even going there. Like, if I break that down and I do, you know, how much money do I spend on crap shampoo and crap conditioner and crap soap all year long? Like, that's nothing. And if it's good for me and it's like, no, that's an investment. I totally see it. And so... It's all just like changing your mindset around things because then I look at my 7-Eleven bill and I'm like, you know what? I spent $30 at 7-Eleven again this month. That's all sugar. Like, that's not good. I'm sweet. <laughs> yeah. Girl. I got it's funny that you say the shampoo thing because that's some, one thing that I invest in. Because, like, I don't buy the shampoo at the grocery store. I buy Monet from my girl. And um, my shampoo costs, like, 30 that's not in conditioner you know what I mean <laughs> but I only use like a very small amount every three days yeah <laughs> like it lasts me a long time so yeah. I feel like it's worth it then in my in my bathroom I was like I'm a fucking bougie bitch <laughs> like I, my old self would be like are you kidding are you me serious bro right now? I know dollar shampoo are you fucking kidding but it me? starts it's small right so you don't have to redo your whole bathroom at once and rebuy all your products it's like the next time your shampoo runs out you know, maybe no. just, like, go buy a new one, a nice one. And then, like, the next time the other bad thing runs out, get a new one. Like, and it's the next thing you know, you look around and you have, like, all nice stuff. And Good products last a long time, yeah. too. And take care all right, of All right, we're on a dry shampoo, yeah. shampoo kick. I think we need to get off of here. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so just, uh, yeah, we want to just kind of go through any kind of questions you guys have or we'll just bring up subjects as well. We want to you know, hear from you too. So I love how we made it to 48 minutes. Cause we can't, we don't even run out of things to talk about. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, I was just like, Hey, maybe we should get off. It's 49 minutes. Well, we will never have a shortage of things. Right. So. I hope this podcast goes far guys. Like if you, we're going to set up like Google reviews. I don't know where we're going to broadcast this, but once it gets going, we'll let you know, we'll put it on our website and come see us at our wellness center. When it gets, when it's open. Yeah. and then Once we can quit our jobs and actually run it. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you have a good night. Take care. Love you.